We talked a lot about the four predominant styles of attachment in episodes 251 to 254. Attachment is basically the science of love, and in the marriage counseling world, it's one of the core issues that we're interested in, and something that we're working on when we're looking at how spouses are relating to one another. While there's four styles of attachment, and the best style is called secure attachment, just to summarize that part, but inside secure attachment, there are five pillars that make up that healthy, resilient, and very, I'm going to say, productive style of relating to others. And so we want to look at those five pillars today and see what we can learn. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to OYF.support. Once again, that website is OYF.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a conceptual but very important episode for you this week. It's episode number 276, and today we're going to be talking about the pillars of attachment. Don't worry if that sounds a little dry. This will be very interesting because the bottom line is that if you get this right in your marriage and in your parenting, you'll be creating very robust, healthy relationships, and the people in those relationships, your spouse, your children, will be best positioned to thrive and grow. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed causes of infidelity. That's worth going back and checking out. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. And if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. So let's get into these five pillars for Linda. Okay. So attachment. We know it's the science of love. Yes. And maybe more specifically, though, attachment is the secure emotional bond that gets established between two people. Mm-hmm. who are in some form of committed relationship, usually parenting or romantic is what okay. we're considering. A default attachment style is formed within us uh, as children as a result of the bond that occurs during infancy between us and our primary caregiver, often mm-hmm. our mother. Generally, that attachment style that's formed in those very early months and years becomes the default, like kind of like a format, if you will, for how we bond with our spouse throughout courtship and on into marriage. And it is often possible to change one's attachment style, or maybe I'll say it is absolutely possible to change your attachment style, but for 68 to 75% of the population, the childhood attachment style persists into adulthood. So whatever that format was in childhood, you end Mm -hmm. up replicating that in your marriage. For Mm -hmm. most people, about only about 40% of people are securely attached, which is the best style to have. Okay, but there is hope because... If you're anxiously attached or avoidantly attached, you can make changes. You can become healthily. Most people don't realize that it's possible or that they need to. That's why we like to tackle some of these conceptual topics because it really underlies so much of how we end up relating. Right. So the five pillars of attachment are a sense of felt safety, Mm -hmm. a sense of being seen and known. We call that in one word attunement. Okay. So really being dialed in and paying attention to. Number three is the experience of felt comfort or being soothed, Okay. the ability to soothe and receive soothing. Number four is a sense of being valued by the other, which uh-huh. is comes through expressed delight. Okay. 
when you see someone excited about you, someone you love is excited about you, that's... You feel valued? That's a sense of being valued. Okay. Number five, a sense of support for being and becoming one's unique best self, fostering human development, basically. Okay. Yeah. So these are all good. And, and a lot of people do these. Like, I think you're kind of like, I saw your face there trying to understand the fourth one, a sense of being valued, but you actually do that without knowing you're doing it. Oh, okay. Because your parents did it for you. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Like when you get excited when one of the kids gets home and you want to hear their story, mm-hmm. that's number. That's the fourth pillar of attachment happening right there. Oh, well, like to me, expressing delight is like jumping up and down and being excited. And Well, sometimes that happens too, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a significant, uh, you know, display every time. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. So I'm assuming we're going to go through each one of these. Yes. Okay. We are. So maybe they'll make more sense as we get there. They will. Yeah, and I apologize for the technical language, but we'll break it down here. Okay, so the first one is a sense of felt safety. Mm -hmm. So safety comes from consistency, reliability, and protection. Okay, that makes sense. Consistency and reliability, those two things are really about predictability. So I'm going to start in each one of these kind of looking at it, how the parent does it for the child. And then by extension, we're going to take that to, okay, that child becomes an adult, how they extend that for their spouse. So how can I extend that to my spouse today? Okay. So that's how we're going to migrate through each of these. So that predictability, are you present and available in a dependable way or was your parent available Mm -hmm. to you, right? If a parent is unpredictably available or just unavailable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And unavailable or unpredictably available. Yeah. So they're inconsistent. Yeah. In other words then the child can't be sure of that most important person in their life being available and there for them. So then they need to check in regularly. Oh, my land. So that's how you develop an anxious attachment style. Okay. Which would be even worse because like, if you're not always there for them, but they're always coming back to check if you are, it would just drive you crazy, which would mean you're not there more often. Right. But you've caused that as the parent. Yeah. Yeah. And then, or sometimes if the parent flies off the handle unpredictably when the child approaches and the child doesn't know what's caused the reaction in the parent, Mm -hmm. there's an unpredictability in the response, even though the parent might always be there. Right. Okay. Yes. So that's another possible way of eroding or not fostering an assumed sense of safety. Whereas if that parent's responses are understandable and predictable most of the time, you don't have to get this perfect, Mm -hmm. but most of the time it creates a sense of felt safety in the child. Mm -hmm. So does the parent respond consistently to my emotions, needs, and wants as a child? Now, what if it's like, yes, except for right before dinner? (laughs) Then they just, they learn, well, that's a good one, actually, because then they learn, okay, right before dinner is not the time. Okay. You know, so right, then they learn maybe right before dinner is not a safe time, but that's different from I am not safe. Oh, okay. Vastly different. Okay. So again, that's why you don't have to get this perfect, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that matters because a lot of parenting I've seen, especially sort of being promoted in blogs and that kind of thing is sort of the helicopter parenting or... Mm -hmm. Like you got to protect your kids. You have to spend like all these hours of intense focus on them and that kind of thing. Um, But this this sort of protection or this sense of felt safety, I'm not talking about helicopter parenting where you're always hovering all the time. Okay. So protection means that as a parent, you take care of the adult concerns without exposing the child to those concerns as much as possible. Mm. 
So you, is this part of like your child is not there to meet your emotional needs? Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, no, I mean more like this is not so much you have to protect your kid from like getting an owie on the playground. Okay. But it does mean that you take them to the playground and then you pay attention and you watch for potential threats to your child that are significant, like adult level threats. Um, like a... Per- uh, like a, a <laughs> I can't remember the word. Well, like potential sex offending yeah, kind of people yeah, yeah. or maybe a piece of playground equipment that's like broken mm-hmm. and somebody is definitely going to get hurt, not just like a typical playground Fall bruise or playground. Okay. anything. So the major stuff that adults would recognize that children won't. Okay. That kind of protection. Preventing the child from having an adult experience so the child is not exposed to inappropriate sexuality before the, it's mature yeah, okay. enough to know yeah. what that is yeah. and understand it, right? Yeah. Or what about parent stresses? Yes. So your, your child is not responsible for taking care of your stress related to your financial instability. Right. As an adult, you take that up with other adults. Okay. Yeah. That kind of thing. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Now, when we fail to do that, though, and we expose the child to these adult things, then the child develops memories and feelings related relative to you or to their primary attachment figure that are organized around the reality of the failure of that figure to provide that protection, which basically what I'm saying is the child will, if the child is exposed to these adult threats because the parent does not protect them, Mm -hmm. the child will learn that the significant people in their life are not safe that really they are alone in this world and have to protect themselves. Oh, okay. Because I'm not I going wasn't, to be Nobody taking, else is protecting me. Yes, I have to protect myself. Okay. At the age of four, I learned this, right? Oh my, yeah. Now that child yeah. grows up, gets married, mm-hmm. and they're not safe with you as their spouse because they're still operating under the mantra, I have to protect myself from everything, including the most important people in my life, so I can't... Oh. I can't sit in this marriage with a sense of felt safety because of these issues that I experienced during childhood. Oh, my. Yeah. So that's where it can have impacts later on in life. Yeah. Now, having said that, it's still our responsibility as adults in a marriage to provide safety for one another, Mm -hmm. right? So what I'm not saying is, you know, all this comes from childhood wounds, but I can actually do things as an adult in my marriage that make it unsafe for you so that this pillar of attachment can't really exists as a strong support in our marriage. Okay. So a felt sense of safety in marriage is fostered when I make it possible for you to open up to me. And not just make it possible because I'm demanding or insisting, but because I created a context where it feels okay to share those deeper emotions, concerns, thoughts, and struggles. I validate them when you share them. I let you have Mm -hmm. your feelings. I tell you that they make sense. I listen if those feelings involve me and something that I need to change. I do my best to listen non-defensively. So this is creating that sense of safety when yes. your spouse isn't securely attached. No, this is. it or doesn't matter what anybody. your spouse's attachment style is. This is what you need to do to have a felt sense of safety in marriage. It, okay, in yep. general. Okay. And this can provide a corrective experience for someone who's come from an environment like what I discussed okay. earlier. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and even just like making time for one another is another good part of that too. Like I have time to listen to you and to pay attention. That comes a little bit more along with attunement, a sense of being seen in a moment. So some of these do interact a little bit. Yeah. But safety is also created when my spouse sees me acting to protect the bond between us. Like I speak well of him or her to others. I affirm their worth to our children. Mm. Or when I speak about marriage at church, I speak highly of my wife. 
Okay. That kind of thing, or my spouse. My, oh, whatever. I feel safe being your wife. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. When you see me respecting you before others. Yeah. In front of others, yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's cautionary steps that I take to preserve the fidelity of our bond, like proactively disclosing or addressing real or perceived threats. Uh, if So if I got a flirtatious message from someone, do I just hide that, deal with it, mm. don't bother you with it? Or do I say, hey, look, this came in, this is what I'm doing to take it, I do not want this. Okay. But I'm just making sure you know about this because I want you to see that I'm protecting what's between us. Oh. Even things like that. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, that kind of stuff doesn't happen very often. But that's better to let them know. Almost always, yeah. Because... I guess if you find that later on and your spouse didn't tell you about it... Yes. It's like, yeah. well, why not? And then they delete it off their phone so that you don't get worried about it and don't see it. Yeah. And then you never really know what was sent, but you still found out that it happened. Oh. It creates questions, right? Yeah, yeah. So, or sometimes like, you know, you've said to me, like that person there doesn't seem like they're, I don't know actually who said this one or if I'm confusing it with clients I've talked to, (laughs) but just the idea of like that person seems like a threat to our marriage. So I want Mm -hmm. you to be extra careful there. Okay. And if I'm, so if I'm defensive about that person, no, they're not like that. Mm. You're overreacting. I'm dismissing your thoughts and feelings in favor of protecting that person. That's not creating a felt sense of safety. So it's just really understanding things like that. This is, uh, you know, aside from the possibility of having a spouse that's overly jealous. Yeah. And this also does not include a situation where uh, you actually have betrayed your spouse and you've created betrayal trauma. So they're hypervigilant to threats. Mm. Like, yes, the trauma needs to take care of. I'm talking about just sort of day-to-day marriage stuff here, right? Okay. So just really accountability and those kinds of things create safety too. Yeah, makes sense. And then safety also comes in a marriage from reliability, which is little things like making sure I'm home when I said I'll be home. Or if something comes up outside of my control, or I even choose to make a different choice, letting my spouse know that that has changed. Uh, Yes, So just respecting their time and their expectations of you. Yeah. Can I be dependent on to share in household labor? creates a sense of safety. That's reliability. Can I be depended on to pursue work that provides adequately for our financial needs? Right. It would definitely make someone feel safe. Yes. And then there's safety as well, even considering that topic in, in the context of conflict. So when we are disagreeing, do I refrain from gaslighting behaviors where I'm distorting the truth or telling you? What is you, gaslighting? It's like gaslighting comes from an old movie where they actually had gas lights. Yeah. And this the guy who's abusive, emotionally abusive, convinces the woman that the lights are not on when they are on. So it's the, it's the wow. distortion of reality for the purpose of manipulation and control or power and control. Oh, okay. So, and sometimes we get to these kind of dirty tactics when we're in conflict as couples. Oh, that didn't. That's not what happened. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're blowing this way out of proportion. When I should be understanding, okay, why is this so important to you? Right. Okay. Using intimidation to gain the upper hand. I'm going to scream at you. And this could be male or female. So I'm not just okay. identifying male issues yep. here. Yeah. Or from denigration, like just running the other person down by name calling or assassinating their character. Mm-hmm. Or from just bad habits in our conflict, like globalizing, you always, you never. And or, you always point that out. <laughs> nice. Or dismissiveness, which is like, it's not that big of a deal, me pointing that out once in a while. Once in a while? <laughs> If I ever say you always, that's globalizing. Yeah. So instead you should be saying like, I wonder why that's so important to her. That she feels the need to globalize. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, that's good. No, it wasn't. That wasn't good? No. Like, why is it so important to her that it feels like I'm always doing this? <laughs> I don't know, Verlinda. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're gaslighting me or if I'm trying to gaslight you by convincing you that that's not a big deal. Huh. Anyways. Anyways, the second pillar of attachment. Is there anything else on that safety stuff? Or does that all make sense? No, I think that makes sense. Like being reliable, being dependable, not blowing up in conflict. Like being like respectful. I'm safe there. Yeah. I'm safe in our bond, in the marriage bond. Yeah. Like there is such a thing as safe conflict. It doesn't necessarily mean that your conflict's going to feel great. Well, no conflict feels no, great. But, but there's a difference there's between feeling of, unsafe and safe in a conflict. Yeah. 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 Okay, so safety is super important. Now, the second one is a sense of known or being seen and known. And that's also known as attunement. So secure parents are likely to be carefully attuned to their children. That means they're paying attention. Okay. Mainly. There are three aspects of the child that an attuned parent will actively attend to and generally recognize accurately. So again, I'm not saying you have to get this right all the time. Okay. One, the child's immediate behavior. So they know what their kid is doing most of the time. Mm -hmm. Two, the child's inner state of mind. That's harder. Yeah. Three, especially when before they get their words. Mm -hmm. Three. uh, Or when they're teenagers and just use them. (laughs) (laughs) Three, the child's developmental range at any particular time, which means understanding what they can be capable of and just aren't yet. Yeah. To some degree. Again, you don't have to be like a a childhood development expert, right? Right. So the parent will demonstrate their attunement to the child by being immediately be responsive, by matching the behavior based on the situation. So they'll they'll kind of follow the child with what's going on. Like if the child is very intense and concerned, mm-hmm. they'll pay more intense concern to the child. If the child is relaxed and just playing, they'll let the child relax and play and they'll be relaxed themselves. Okay. So they're not fussing over, for example. So in a good situation, you can... You can be negatively attuned by fussing over a child that doesn't need fussed over. Okay. Or in a neglectful situation, the child could be fussing and you're just disregarding the child's needs when it actually does need something that only an adult can help it with. Okay. But you said like when your child's relaxed or the parent can be relaxed, but sometimes if the child's not relaxed, the best thing the parent can do is be relaxed. Like you don't always have to match their sense of hyper. No, no. Yes. Um, Yeah. You're right, Verlinda. But do you mean like the level of responsiveness? Like, obviously, if my kid is very highly agitated, I'm not going to ignore them. Right. That's what I'm saying, though, is if they're highly agitated, you're more concerned about why they're agitated. Okay. But it doesn't mean you become agitated to match no. their... No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, like the, one of the ways that we train our children to identify what's happening for them emotionally mm-hmm. in their internal world as well is by giving voice to our best guess of what's happening in the child's emotions, needs, their motivations, their ideas. Can I just ask a question here? Like, are we talking about like toddlers here? This is mostly the first five years. Okay. Because some of this doesn't work so well with teenagers. Well, teenagers, yes. Can I just split that off? Because that's a huge topic. Yeah. And I'll just say that uh, there's different issues operating in their development at that stage. This is mm-hmm. really those early developmental years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So your best estimate of what's happening for them. So for example, the the child's crying and you're just trying to figure out why, what's going on, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're upset because your friend Tommy wouldn't let you play with him. So 
Okay. You've identified the cause, the thoughts, and that they're feeling upset. Okay. That's attunement to the child because you spent the time and took the interest and helped them uh, give voice to their inner state. Okay. That's what I mean, okay? Mm-hmm. So, and again, a lot of parents are just doing this intuitively. Now, a lack of attunement to the child's developmental stage, meaning you're not, maybe for example, if you're not attuned to what they're capable of at their age, you're expecting to do something that only an older child could do. Mm-hmm. That means the parent's more likely, or what ends up happening is the parent's more likely to get into a power struggle with the child or to experience that as their own personal failure, like somehow I failed as a parent because my three-year-old can't do this. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Or to humiliate the child when the child can't Like if they're not reading by the age of four? Or or they can't do what the parent wants. Well, Um, why does the parent need that if it's not developmentally possible? Yep. That kind of stuff. Okay. So, so that's the child. That's the developmental Sorry. stuff yeah. as well, right? So age appropriate, I think, is the word there or the words. So being seen and known, attunement, it's kind of just being understood. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you wouldn't, again, like if you think of me doing marriage counseling, the comments that people make, actually, we saw this on one of our cruises where she's like, oh, I'm actually feeling like understood right now. Mm-hmm. And just how sort of relieving and connecting that felt when you haven't experienced that before, right? Okay. So this is how it comes into marriage. So attunement is me paying close attention to your state and being willing to take interest in what is happening for you when you need me to. So I'm not monitoring you like creepy style, but it's just like you would with the child. When you're relaxed, I'm relaxed. When you're agitated, I'm moving closer and I'm concerned. Okay. It's just that willingness, you know, in the positive side of things to romantically study you to be curious about you, to take an interest in you, mm-hmm. and and also the willingness to inquire about your inner experience as we go through all the different kinds of life together, the ups and the downs. So that... Sounds a little bit weird. What's weird um, about it? I mean, maybe it's all very normal, but... This is like um, the... Remember the episode on irreducibility? Like, people are fascinating, get to know your spouse. Yeah, like, I understand the curiosity thing. Yeah. I guess maybe the study you part. Oh, the word study might sound okay. What are you studying? Yeah, no. Uh, let me see if. But I yeah, give. being curious about for sure, and yep. learning about, and yep. like not just assuming you know everything, but yes, always wanting to learn more and yes. know more, and which means the person feels interesting, the spouse, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and they also feel seen and known in the relationship, like they don't feel like a stranger. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to feel understood again. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So that's the sense of being seen and known. Okay. Now, once again, we've created a bonus exercise for our much appreciated supporters. This one is actually an assessment. It helps you review the attachment experiences you had in your family of origin growing up. So that's a useful discussion point for your marriage. It's even more useful if you complete it and bring it to counseling with you. Hmm. And you can get this by becoming a a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll just take a quick 60-second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. 
but the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about a sense of being seen and known. Being understood, I like better. Understood. Mm-hmm. Or attuned. But we don't really use the word attuned anymore. Not a whole lot, but it's a good word. It's it's a beautiful word. (laughs) (laughs) You let me have it. All right. Number three, the experience of felt comfort. So again, going back to the child side, Mm -hmm. consent parental soothing, not constant. Mm, Yes. Consistent. And reassurance contributes to the emergence of internal affect regulation. And in English? It means that uh, over time, a child who is well comforted when distress, will learn that they can comfort themselves and take care of themselves. They'll have an upset at school. Yeah. They'll figure it out. Right. You don't always need mom. Yes. And they actually figure that out by being comforted, not by being pushed away. Huh. Which some folks do who experience that from their parents. They think that you toughen the child by distancing the child. Yeah. But uh, let me just nerd out with a quote here. And we'll break this down. Okay. The child's developing internal structures for affect regulation. So affect regulation just means I can take care of my upset. Okay. Result from the cumulative internalization of repeated soothing and comforting behavior by the parent. So in other words, when parents respond appropriately and consistently, there's our our reliability thing. When they respond that way to a child's distress, the child learns to soothe itself as well. Okay. Yeah. Like it's going to be okay. Yes. We made this through this before. Yes. We can do it again. So you're providing that for the child and then the child will learn, I can make it through this okay. I've mm-hmm. done this before. I can figure it out again. Uh, okay. The child who feels soothed experiences felt comfort. Yes. They feel comforted. Yep. And when that happens repeatedly over time, they develop the capacity for what we call representational thinking, which means they develop an internal representation of the soothing or comforting response. Like they know, they carry inside themselves a representation of that experience. So they know that they can provide it for themselves as well, not just from outside themselves. Okay. As that, so as that, that sense of being able to do that becomes a stable reality in their subconscious thinking, if I can put it that way, then the child needs less soothing from the parent because they can evoke the internal representation of soothing within themselves. So they can self-soothe. Okay, yes. And they can, they can regulate their emotions. So they can be very upset by something and then bring themselves back to a place of calm by thinking through it. Whereas the child who does not experience soothing and comforting from their parents, they get distressed. It's very hard for them to calm themselves back down because they don't have this internal model of what it means or of what that process of calming looks like. Yeah. So what does that process of calming look like? Well, it's an appropriate parental response to the child's distress. So the child is brought close, is attuned to... Okay. Seen, heard, known, understood. There's some reflection of the child's inner experience. So they are able to put words to it. And as they are seen and held and experience acceptance in their distress, they naturally, you know, their nervous system begins to calm down and the upset goes away. And then they realize it's going to be okay, even if I still have this owie and it's not healed yet, for example, right? So, So I go from a state of distress back to calm. So the parent is giving them that 
state of calm, so to speak. Yes. Rather than like the distress, the panic. Hopefully rather than more freaking out inside the parent, right? So this is parenting, which is I'm providing the adult experience to the child. Okay. Okay. But it's not so like, uh, it's not so calm on the parent's part that it's like nothing happened to you. Right. So it's not dismissive of what the child's experiencing. But it's not panicking. It's appropriate. Okay. Yeah. Now, when that child becomes an adult and is married, they're able to more reasonably work through moments of marital distress and conflict because they can regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. They can more effectively process what has happened and what's needed in order to restore harmony in the relationship. Okay. But a child without that experience who becomes a married adult is likely either to shut down and withdraw because they can't handle the emotion. This is too much. Forget it. Yes, yes. I'll just cut it off. Or else they may frenetically like pursue a sense of equilibrium in a way that can be overwhelming for their spouse. Or like, I'm so freaked out, I'm just going to go at you, at you, at you, until I can get some sense of being calmed down. Which oh, is really hard to do because your spouse is going to run away from that. Right. And then you think something's wrong, and so then you're going to panic. Then you get a super intense cycle happening. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's very hard to restore calm then, right? But it is possible to learn this self-soothing. Yes, Okay. Well, to give and receive comfort. So you can help it in your marriage by being by responding appropriately to your spouse's emotion. So I think a classic example is when your spouse is feeling a lot of fear. Maybe they had a cancer diagnosis, or maybe they come to you with a lot of worry about one of the kids. Like I know in my case, my first reaction is to just say, you know what, we'll figure this out. It'll be okay. Not, it'll be okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is basically saying, it's okay, put your emotion away. It's too intense for me. It's not a calming. It's not a soothing. It doesn't provide felt comfort. Okay, so what is? Well, we can I just jump in one layer before okay. that? Often we're saying it's going to be okay or telling, you know what, don't worry. Yeah. Because we're trying to minimize the risks and to push the fear away, hoping that will help you make help make you feel better as a spouse. Oh, yeah, let's minimize it so it's not yes. as big. Yeah. So then it's not as threatening, right? Yeah. But But the person still feels all the reality of that threat. Or that concern. Okay. But when you actually validate, so by saying, yeah, that is quite terrifying, or I'm afraid too, that's really concerning. But whatever happens, I'm going to be right here with you through all of this. We'll go through this cancer thing together, baby. Okay. Right? Okay. Now, that's scary, but you won't be alone. Like, I can feel that emotion tied to that when I say that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you validate the feelings and you offer reassurance of your consistent, reliable presence. So that's, again, go back to the picture with, of the kid with the owie in their mom's arms. Mm-hmm. And the mom can't take the pain away, but she's with the child and the child is able to soothe. Yeah. So whatever, you know what, I'm concerned about our kids too, or I see why you're concerned. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to figure this out, but we'll do this together. Um, Same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the experience of felt comfort where it says, I see your emotions, I'm helping articulate what's happening for you internally. Yeah. Right? I'm accepting of that. And while that is all happening, I am with you. Mm-hmm. We're together. It's scary, but you won't be alone. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you do that consistently and your spouse knows that you'll always be there for them. That's felt. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Felt comfort. Yes. Now, the fourth pillar is a sense of being valued, often called expressed delight. I'm terrible at this. I don't get excited about much. That's nothing to do with for Linda. There are reasons for that. Uh, But you're very good at this, as I said earlier. So parents who consistently express delight about their child and to their child 
They both promote secure attachment, but also a foundation for healthy self-esteem. So when a child can count on their parents to show delight in who he or she is, that child feels valued and the experience of feeling valuable, having worth, emerges okay. from that. Self-esteem emerges when the parent expresses this delight, not just in what the child does, but who the child is. Okay. So good job on that homework is what the child does. You did great on that test. Yeah, yeah. But who the child is, is more like, that was really thoughtful of you when you wrote that card for your friend, mm, when they okay, went through. Okay, Whatever. Yeah. Hmm. Then the child is like, I'm a thoughtful person. How is this part of attachment? Well, if the most important person in my life sees me as someone who has worth, uh-huh. then there's a lot of purpose that comes from that. Okay. That sense of being valued. Imagine, I guess maybe it'd be easier to maybe describe that or answer that if you imagine it without or try to imagine it without. Mm-hmm. If I imagine it without being valued. Yes. So try to picture yourself as a child in a family where you don't do anything right. Okay. You're a pain and we really never wanted you anyways. <gasps> That's terrible. So yeah, now imagine that child in a marriage where they have no confidence that they deserve to belong with the person that they're with. Okay. Well, when you're talking about the child and, part, like it just made me like frantic. Like I yes. have to, I have to do something to be better or. Right. But then right, when right, I'm right, thinking right. of this in the marriage context, it'd be like, oh, I'm not worth it. I give up. Well, it could go hopeless or it could go to um, uh, fawning. What is that? Like just like an endless fussing over your spouse to try to establish some sense of worth. Hmm. That just which, makes me claustrophobic. Well, which could be annoying mm-hmm. for your spouse and continue to validate the idea that you don't have worth because you're annoying as you're Aww. trying to do all this good stuff. Yeah, so this is tough stuff, right? Yeah. So this is how yeah. this is how it comes back to attachment, though. Okay, so how does this work in marriage? Well, I think this is little things a lot and big things rarely, sometimes. Okay. So getting excited about when your spouse returns home from a business trip or... What about just home from work? Being happy to see one another at the end of the day. Yeah. Yes. Gottman talks about rituals of connection, saying mm-hmm. goodbye and in the morning and hello when your spouse returns. Mm-hmm. That's expressed delight. Okay. I'm going to miss you because you're leaving for the day. Uh-huh. And you got home and I'm happy to see you. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Yeah. So those are little moments. Making that known or obvious to one another or even embedding them in rituals of like we hug every time I go to work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Or like when your spouse accomplishes something more significant, you acknowledge that, you applaud that. Okay. You express your delight in them as a person. Okay. When Like so their character behind it more than necessarily the accomplishment itself. Like you worked so hard for that or... Yes. I'm going to say both though. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Like you don't want to do it just on accomplishment because then you're worth what you do. Yeah. But you definitely... Because of the amount of work that people put into stuff, I think that's good to validate. But okay. also just the idea of um, definitely what you're saying, which is the the character and strengths that you know fostered Got that, that. Okay. accomplishment. Yeah. So that's the sense of being valued. Okay. So this is a little longer episode today, but we're almost done here. Number five, fostering self-development. This is about providing a sense of support for being and becoming one's unique best self. And this is promoted by parents that are consistent and reliable and provide support unconditionally and encouragement for exploration 
Okay. For creativity. Children who feel their parents' support in this kind of way, they feel free to explore, to discover, to succeed and fail. And through that exploration, they develop the best, strongest, and most unique sense of self. They figure out what they're good at and because what they can do in this world. It's okay to fail. Yes, because they're allowed to try these things. They're encouraged to try these things. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to succeed at all of those things. It's more that they're exploring and learning and developing. Okay. And parents who provide a sense of support to that, they're not threatened by their child's developing strength or what they're good at or the fact that they might be better and they can throw the ball faster, oh, harder, I straighter. See. Okay. But they encourage it. Yeah. And they provide encouragement through each stage of their child and adolescence development so that they can develop the best sense of self possible. So it really helps nurture the person into who they are. And I'm not threatened by you becoming better at something than me as a child. That's like a little bit of like healthy competition or No, I guess I'm just more saying it in the sense of like what happens if you have a parent who I like we live in a farming area. Yeah. So somebody is raising a son or a daughter who's better at figuring out the farm stuff than they are. Okay. Now good parenting means you're gonna foster that. Right. Oh, but rather if you're, than like put it down. Yes. If you're struggling with your own sense of being valued or didn't experience this from your parents, you might see that as a threat. Oh. And keep reinforcing that idea that my ways are better than your ways or you need to listen to dad here. Kind oh, of stuff. Right. So okay. this is this is really helping your child become all that God has made them to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Now in marriage, I think the translation is fairly obvious here. It's offering that same thing to your spouse. So that knowing that you are a person that has gifts, talents, abilities, and some of these yet as, are probably as yet undeveloped or untapped to their full potential. Mm -hmm. How can I foster and nourish that within you as my spouse? This can take many forms, hobbies, shared projects, travel. There's a lot of discovery associated with travel. That's why couples often do very well in their marriages when they're traveling. Uh, It could be church or community service. Those could be things done together. Those could be things done individually. Further education, I'm going to say balanced career development. So it's not the pursuit of career at the cost of family and marriage, Okay. but just really developing all that potential and offering that possibility to your spouse of taking a risk. You know what? Let's try this. And if you fail, it's okay. Except we accept failure as part of growth. It's not holding it over the person's head. Hmm. Yes. Oh, that's so really, really fostering all of that stuff. Yeah. Builds healthy attachment. Okay. Like, yeah, some of these make sense, but like how, how they're part of attachment sometimes is a little bit airy fairy to me, I guess. But well, like, I guess you need to develop a whole person for them to feel securely attached. Yeah. Yep. I guess it's kind of like a stool. And if a leg's missing, it's not going to be very. Yes. There's balanced. five pillars here, right? Yeah. So all of us are going to be, if this is like a wheel with five points, all of us are going to be a little bit lumpy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But sometimes it's easier to imagine what happens if you take it away. So imagine a spouse who feels stifled. No, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like if I stifle you, just think about the impact that's going to have on attachment, like your sense of a bond with me if I'm a person that's limiting you from what you would like to do or what you could do. Okay. Now, often spouses limit this out of fear in one another. That if you become everything that you could be, you'll leave me behind. Okay. Okay. Right? So, but that's a fear in me. Then that relates to attachment too. Okay. That needs sorted out as well. Okay. So lots of complexities here, but just good principles to note as you're thinking about attachment. And what I'd like to close with is just the note that it is possible to heal from poor or from disruptive attachment during childhood. Again, as we said at the start, even if your marriage is severely distressed, 
Now it's possible to shift your attachment style to change that towards your spouse, like Mm -hmm. how you relate to them. And sometimes there are even other factors such as trauma that impact attachment. So while, you know, it might be five things, relatively simple, the five pillars of attachment, the process of healing and getting this sort of fine tune in your marriage can involve some work. And it's definitely something that you'd want to work with a counselor on, preferably one who's trauma-informed, who understands attachment. It's Mm -hmm. a core part of what we do in our online counseling agency at Only You Forever. So if we can help you either individually or as a couple, we'd love for you to set up a consultation with us through our website at onlyyouforever.com. Sounds good. Thank you to Jen and Mark and Tom and Jeremy and Valine, who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. It just means a lot that we have the support of all our patrons. Next week, Ferlinda, we're going to talk about how to know if and when you can trust your spouse after betrayal. Oh. Often a common question, how do I know I can trust my spouse again? Yeah, yeah. So we'll try and tackle that. Good. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 276. Find out how you can help. Go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.